Three, three, two, two, one. one. Let's, Let's go. go! Oh, I didn't know by now. <laughs> <laughs> I am your host. Yeah, I practiced that like all morning. <laughs> You want to do it again? You want to rerun? No, 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 no. The first time's <laughs> got to be the, the one. Yeah, we're just going to It happened. It definitely has happened several times uh, in the past. People go, oh, you hold out on the uh, the let's go. I got it. Uh, Have you ever had somebody that's just been like, no, I'm, I'm not going to do this? Uh, you know, I, I think we have. I think someone's just <laughs> kind of sat back and watched. Yeah. And just kind of gave us this okay. like stoic look. Uh, made it a little I'm awkward. <laughs> Well, I'm the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tillemeyer, and we have Kelly Maddox Sutton. Man, Sutter. Sutter. So I kept saying Sutton all show. I'm sorry. You said Sutton all show? I'm pretty sure I was saying Sutton with an N. You'll have to go back and change that. Aye, aye, aye. I'm the host of the PBE podcast, Troy Tillemeyer, joined by Kelly Maddox Sutter. And, uh, and thank you for joining the show. This is the intro to kind of us getting together. We're getting to know each other as co-hosts for this upcoming event, but also to getting to discuss, you know, what is the Texas Railroad Commission, the history of that? What do we know about it and, and this event coming up? So a quick introduction, Kelly, what do you think? Yeah, so my name is Kelly Maddox Sutter, not Sutton, um, but that's okay. Um, so I sit on the board for the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners, which is who brought this event to my attention. Um, and being that I now am, have kind of stepped out of my role in oil and gas, I was asked to host this as an unbiased opinion where my company, uh, my nonprofit company, Sky Hyper Kids, doesn't really have a stake in this election, right? Um, so yeah, so we're gonna be meeting with the Texas Railroad Commission candidates for the 2022 year. Um, the, for those of you who don't know what the Texas Railroad Commission is, the Texas Railroad Commission uh, basically regulates any infrastructure, oil, natural gas, oil, gas, infrastructure, everything coming out of the wellhead all the way down to the refinery, down to the end user. They're regulating any of the policies, safety regulations, and basically how that is, is structured. Um, each, there's three seats on the commission and each seat serves a six year term and those overlap each other. So every two years, there's a new election. Um, so this year up for reelection is Wayne Christian who has served his six year term. And we've got several different candidates coming in that have graciously agreed to sit down with us and have a panel discussion on some of the topics that are, are facing our community right now as we look to see who is going to, whether the incumbent stays in that seat or if we rotate somebody new into that seat moving forward for right. next, another six years. And so the point of this show was to talk a little bit more details of some of those major concerns that seem to be obvious to both parties, Republican, Democrat, the Green, as you explained, you know, the candidates and, and what their concerns are. We talked about that in the show. I thought that was really interesting and get your perspective. You live in Midland. Uh, you're in the heart of the Permian Basin, and which is a huge part of of the Texas Railroad Commission's focus, obviously, and a lot of uh, a lot of drama around that whole thing. And we get to talk about that. And the, you know, the point of the show on February 17th is to deliver information, to allow the candidates a platform where they get to talk about what they are going to do if provided the opportunity to be commissioner for six years. Uh, I think you know just 
getting a ticket to this, get being there present live in person goes from about 6 p.m. to 9.30, uh, maybe 10, something like that comes with dinner. It's going to be at the Bush Center. I think it's it's a perfect setting for, for some very curious questions to be asked, uh, to see how the candidates respond to those things live. I think it's uh, it's going to be really, really exciting. I'm looking forward to co-hosting this thing. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm extremely excited and um, you know honored to have been chosen to co-host this. Um, you know, I've been in the Permian for six years now, and this has become my home. Um, so very, very involved in not only the oil and gas community but the the Midland Odessa community as a whole. Um, so yeah, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Our goal is not to tell people what's right or wrong uh, or to steer people's opinion in one way or the other, but more so to educate the community in terms of, of what these candidates, what their stance is going into this and, and what ideas and solutions they're bringing to the table that might be different from what's already been in that seat. And I, I think we're going into an extremely interesting debate year where we're discussing, you know, ESG is such a hot topic and renewable energy. And, you know, it, if you live out here in the Permian, chances are you don't, you can't name a company that hasn't talked about migrating and shifting their focus into the renewable space. Um, and then on top of that, everybody in Texas experienced this last year, the Texas freeze, the URI storm where um, there was, I, I think, you know, you'd have to fact check the numbers, but the, the, I think it was somewhere in the, the billions in terms of the damage that was sustained by Texans to their homes and infrastructure. And then on top of that, when 200 Texans died during that, and how are we, what are we doing to prevent that? And, yeah. and how are we going to mitigate that moving forward? So very excited. We're, we're going to touch on a, a couple other topics I would imagine, but this is something where we're allowing the community and our guests will have up to 750 guests there, um, both virtually and in person, to be able to dictate how that conversation goes and to be able to vote on what topics of discussion they want to hear. Um, you'll be able to have, my understanding, is a QR code where you can scan and vote and dictate how these conversations go and really get a broad understanding on on what changes are are being made currently by the commissioners in their seats and what changes need to be made moving forward. This episode is brought to you by Bell Geospace. Bell Geospace has the gravity data that you need in the Permian Basin to see the structures below your reservoir, to see the structures in the reservoir and above. It's all connected. It all has a lot to say and a lot to do with how much oil, brine, or gas you're getting. You need the data to make better wells. You got to contact Julianne Sharples, jsharples at bellgeo.com or go to bellgeo.com, check out their data, check out what they're providing in their FTG, full tensor gravity gradiometry. The data is very high resolution. We did an exciting show, episode 91 with Bell Geospace, interpreting some of that data. Contact them today. Drill better wells. Let's go. Thank you for joining the PBE podcast. I look forward to co-hosting the Railroad Commission event with you coming up on February 17th. So we will now start the conception part of the show, which is where I get to sit back and listen to your story. I want to know who you are. I want to know your journey. I want to know how you got into Midland, how you got the 
role, ultimately the role of co-hosting this event, how you're involved in it. Let's go. Do I get to say let's go too? <laughs> yeah, after. But right now, you just, okay. <laughs> right now you just roll into your life. All right, great. So, um, yeah, so I am from Houston originally. And, you know, when you look at how I got to Midland, um, that's a really great question. I was actually in, when I was in school, I was an elementary education major, wanted to be a, a first grade teacher, and then somehow ended up in this industry. So in, in 2015, I was living in Houston and working for a pipeline maintenance company, if you will. Um, what we did, it was the name of the company, Hydrological Solutions. Um, we provided temporary cofferdams for pipeline maintenance. So if you're you know, digging up a line to do some integrity work, we would come in, install these barriers so you can dam up that area, go and do your work. So Whoa. doing that, um, as well as treating frack water and some other water solutions, and got a call from a colleague that said, hey, I've got this job. Um, I think you'd be the right person for, for the job. You know, it's in Midland, Texas. Um, just like, absolutely not. No, I'm fine. <laughs> at that point, <laughs> at that point in my career, I had, I'd been out to Midland a, a handful of times, but enough to know that I wasn't interested in picking up and moving out here. Um, so I sat down with him anyways and, and kind of heard about a little bit. And, you know, to make a long story short, they slid me an offer letter and I said, all right, when do I move? Um, so I packed up my things at the end of 2015 and moved to Midland in 2016 to work for a pipeline construction company. And um, wow, yeah, I, I moved out here not knowing anybody really uh, and so it was I mean it was a huge huge change but I mean my gosh you know you know this because you lived here so I, I get out here I don't know anybody and basically they give me a list of companies that we had MSAs with that we weren't doing any work with and just said okay go you know find something. And so I get in my car and I did some research on where these companies were located. And I started just driving like all across, you know, big screen, Pecos, Kermit, wherever. Right and just walking into these people's offices and I, you know, Hey, I'm Kelly. I just moved here or for such and such Perfect. company. And, and I mean, it was amazing. It was unlike anything, especially coming from Houston I'd ever experienced where people were like, Oh my gosh, come in. You know, you just moved here. What are you doing for dinner? Um, and so it yeah. just be, it was this wildly welcoming community. Yeah. Um, and so I, I fell in love with it really. And um, the company that had moved me out here within that first year got uh, bought out by a company in New York. And so at that point, I had just met Bubba Salisbury uh, with Salisbury Industries. And he said, Why don't you come work for me? So I signed on with Salisbury and I worked for them for several years. And um, yeah, I mean, it really shaped me as, as far as who I was as, you know, professional and, you know, personal individual. I, I got to work underneath some of the most talented men that I'd ever met and sit in this room. And, you know, I was kind of like a sponge. I just would sit in these, you know, operational reviews with these guys and just soak it all up. And, and it was, oh, it was great. I loved it. So um, in 2018 is when we formed the Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners, 
chapter out here. And I was very heavily involved in the pipeliners in Houston, um, Louisiana, San Antonio. So naturally, it made sense that we we formed this out here. Originally, it was formed as a 501c6 so that we could contribute to political campaigns such as the Railroad Commission. Yeah, um, I learned a lot about the differences between 501c6, 501c3, and how they operate and why they operate the way that they do. Um, So I I served with the Community Improvement Chair, and then in 2020, I got voted into the Treasurer position where we really, really, you know, I kind of immersed myself in understanding 501c3s and 501c6s. Um, That was the year that we applied and became a 501c3 organization. So we actually have both. and then, yeah, now, so it's here, where are we, 2020, um, I'm sitting on the board for the Pipeliners Association, 22. and uh, 22, <laughs> I don't even, know, don't even know what year it is, thank you for that correction, it is 2020, gosh, that's hard to believe, sometimes I sit back and yeah. I remember when I moved here, meeting um, a girl that worked for Simrax, she was one of the first friends I made, and I was like, you know, how long have you been here, and she said six years. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like how have you how have you survived out here for that long? Um, and now I look back and I'm like, well shit, I'm that person now. <laughs> <laughs> when I meet people and they're like, I just moved here and that's me now. Um, but no, it's been great. Uh, I met my husband out here. Uh-huh. And yeah, and so we, you know, we've just made this home and it's been it's been a wonderful, wonderful community. We love it out here as much yeah. as we, you know, we hate it, but we love it. And I think only the people that live here will understand that saying. Yep. Yep. I got a, a similar story in 2014. I did that and I went around at all the buildings and met all these people. And yeah, they were just overwhelmingly welcoming and like, okay, yeah. I'm not hiring, but I know this guy and he could talk to and it's just the connections and you know, the way they operate in Midland is is different. It's uh, it's cool. It's it's, it's something. That... One of the most interesting places uh, I think I'll ever live in my my entire life. Because of the culture, you're saying, right? Because of the culture. The... Um, you know, we were joking that it, this is such a Midland thing where you know you you outgrow your house and so you buy the house across the street, and and people are like, why would you? Why would you want to? And I'm like, I don't know, but I know like 10 people that have just said, right, I'm done with this house. I'm going to move right across the street. And so there, there's little, little things that happen in Midland that you just don't see anywhere else. But the main thing is, is absolutely the culture. And what I always tell people is, you know, I came out here for business a handful of times before moving here and it, it sucks, right? You, you get here, there's nothing to do. There's you're staying in these crappy hotels, you're, eating crappy food and and it's hard it's really hard because people are kind of closed off to you and then you move here and the community all of a sudden just opens you into you know their circle and it, it's such a unique place right on i can't believe we never crossed paths we never crossed paths in 2016 yeah that's really strange bizarre what's the difference between a association for pipe layers and an association for pipe liners. I thought it was actually pipe layers uh, until just recently pipe liners. So they're the same. They're, they're the same in, I mean, well, I guess if you look at the breakdown of it, they're not the same, but, but yeah, a pipe liner is somebody who lays pipe, right? 
Um, uh, okay. When I when I met my husband, this is a funny story. He we just kind of met at a bar, and he'd asked me the what bar I do, was it the bar. It wasn't the bar. No, it was um, God. Just such a romantic story. We met at the Little Woodrows in. <laughs> And and he was with some friends and he said, What do you do? And I said, I lay pipes. And and I don't, you know, it and so his friends all like he's like, Yeah, I'm going out to meet with that that lay the pipe girl. And he was just like so kind of confused by my whole demeanor. But no, it is the pipeliners is it's the companies that lay the pipelines. Now there are companies that go in and actually physically line the pipes with, you know, rock shield, rock guard. Weather yeah. protection, things like that. But for all intents and purposes, a pipeliner is someone that lays pipe. This episode of PBE Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Geolog. Geolog offers cost-effective, lab-quality, quantitative, real-time formation evaluation and reservoir characterization solutions to improve well placement, production forecasting, and optimizing of completions. They even have a service that can monitor bitware while drilling. I've actually utilized their services while drilling wells in the Permian Basin, and we were highly impressed with the data acquisition process and the quality of the interpretations. These guys at Geolog are passionate about the data they collect each day at every well site. They've been doing it for 40 years. They are passionate about drill cuttings, passionate about mud gas data, passionate about what the data means and how the data can add value to an asset. They probably collect the most amount of drill cuttings and mud gas data globally each day of any privately owned surface mug logging company. Geolog always employ a consistent quantitative analytical methodology, whether on the well site or back at the lab. So data collected at one well can be compared in another well. We'll be doing a podcast with Dr. Guy Oliver, Geolog's Director of Energy Transition and Data Science, who will be talking more about what Geolog does and diving more into the types of data they collect. Wow. I distinctly remember 2016 because of the fall of 2015, right? And then with the kind of coming back, and I remember the building I was in, there was a pipeline company or a pipeline, something to do with midstream that mm -hmm. filled the whole upper deck of this building and and that was like 2016 2017 probably when that really was taken off and it was like whoa midstream's like really becoming a thing the, the infrastructure of the permian basin is definitely getting uh uplifted yeah absolutely um you know in, in 2016 2017 were such interesting years because we had so many interstate lines that were running from you know wink all the way down to galveston i mean you had so many we just had such a need to be able to transport that oil from where you know we've been producing it out here down to where it was going to ultimately you know meet its end user um, and so they built there was i mean gosh just a handful of different interstate lines spanning across 438 or 430 miles. Wow. Wow. Very, very cool stuff. Um, it is. It's super cool. If you've ever, you know, my first year out here, uh, I was familiar, very familiar with the oil and gas industry, right? I'd, I'd worked in it. But the best part, I think, about coming out here was being able to, I mean, physically 
go out and sit on a job site and watch them weld the pieces of pipe together and lay it all and pull it all and string it along. And it's and until you see it and watch it happen. And, and maybe it's just because I'm a visual learner, but I mean, it's, it, it's very, very cool. What, and not many people would describe laying pipe as very cool, but I think laying pipe, building facilities, cryogenic plants, all of it to me is just, I think it's super cool. It is. My dad was a uh, uh, kind of the uh, operating mach heavy machinery in the union and California and their company laid pipe all over California, all over LA mm -hmm. and, and the coast. And I mean, that's what he did for a living. And so I get it. I got to go as a kid and like, you know, peer down those holes and like, what the heck is going on? What's down going there? on? I mean, you're talking like a 30 foot section, maybe uh, that needs to go 430 miles. Like, and you're welding. I mean, you're just digging and welding and, and making sure that the, the hole doesn't cave in on itself and all the safety and all the, the, the process and logistics of all that. I mean, you were watching like, you know, like modern frontline innovation, you know, human flourishing, bang, just happening in front of your eyes and, and people coming together to make that happen. How involved is the Railroad Commission with laying pipe because obviously they're really involved with how you run operations in your oil and gas but what about the sales line or like right because you're talking about a big big pipe collects all the oil everybody gets paid for that oil oil goes to refineries separates out goes across the world and in sales and all that stuff is the railroad commission really involved in that 430 yeah, absolutely 100 percent. so um the railroad commission they're overseeing and, and regulating everything, you know, any sort of oil and gas transportation, anything from, you know, once it comes out of the wellhead to once it hits that refinery and, and you know, moves on down the line to its end user, all of that is being regulated by the Texas Railroad Commission. And, you know, I, I listened to when you hear that there's a, a, there was a news story in Dallas that was done and they kind of spun it like the Railroad Commission, which is named ironically because it doesn't actually do anything with the railroad. It, it's true. There's there's no and it's not anything new. And if you if you work in this industry and you you know are, are involved in, in the transportation of oil, then you know that that in 2005, uh, I think is the year that they, they kind of transferred all of those rail um whatever you might might call it, um, regulations over to the DOT and strictly put their focus on just, you know, oil and gas, natural gas, all of the transportation and, and regulating and safety of all of that. So natural resources, like, like mining, anything really, right? Yeah, I, yeah, mining as well. Um, you know, mining and metals is something I've never really gotten into. I know you, your background is in that and um, it, it just was never something that, that I crossed in my career, but, but yeah, the railroad commission has regulation and say over, over all of that. Do they need to change their name in your opinion? You know, no, I don't think so. I think it's kind of, I, I like that, that nobody knows. And then you've got these people that are, are like the railroad commission. Does anybody even know what they do? And, and so I think it's almost kind of ironic. I, I say, you know what, y'all been around for 130 years, keep it. And it's very possible that at some point they might change that name, but I'm in favor of it. A hundred and thirty year history. A wow. hundred and thirty year history. Yeah. So it was, 
I don't know how much you know about the Railroad Commission, and, and I don't know why I know so much about the Railroad Commission, but it was founded in, I believe it was 1880 or 1881, and, and the reason why it was founded is you had the price of oil, and at that point in time, oil was all being transported by rail, and all of that was being regulated by the people that owned the rail companies. And so the price of oil was dictated by the owners. Exactly. Um, and so they formed this organization and as a way to regulate the price of oil and and how that was being, you know, trans put onto the the end users, which is which is us, right? The people that have to buy the oil to um heat our homes and fuel our cars um and as it grew they started taking on more and more you know safety regulations so um you know how far a wellhead can be from you know a home things like that they started putting in more and more safety regulations and and grew into what they are today but but yeah 130 years they've been regulating how the oil and gas and resources are managed in texas whoa yeah makes sense though i mean for sure for for a state to do that and then outside of the texas railroad commission were they the first ones to kind of say we're a state we're going to start regulating they our were, own deal. i mean texas was really the only state that was affected by the price of the, the, the price gouging that was going on in the railroad um, and so it, it's just Texas. Now, New Mexico, I know, has another regulate regulatory organization that handles everything in New Mexico. Um, but this is just, I mean, it, and that's why it's, it's a Texas election. Wow. Okay. So that makes, that makes good sense. And the feds are involved in what they have rules uh for the railroad commission do the railroad commission does do they have to answer to the feds you know that actually i don't know an answer to who actually who the the railroad commissioners report up to that i, I don't have an answer i know that there's a lot of you know scrutiny by the community and the voters yeah. um so texas community and but outside of that i don't i i couldn't have an answer for you i'd have to do some more research. Got to Google it. We got to Google it. <laughs> Can you Google it real quick. All right, do it. Let's Google break. Google break. Okay. We're going to come back and say uh, the Google machine uh, did not give us a super direct answer that we were very confident in. Uh, we will find the answer and we will rely on our communities to maybe someone that comes out and says, oh, here's the answer. Uh, but let's move forward, like you said. Right. So they're the way, so we're, we're looking at this 2022, not 2020, 2022 election for, so there's three seats for the railroad commission um, and they each serve six year terms and those six year terms overlap each other. So essentially every two years, there's an election. So Wayne Christian has served his six years and this is the year that he's up for his seat to be taken essentially. Um, and so he's running against, he's got, there's four different, five different Republican candidates in total with the incumbent included. So four that he's running against for that Republican um, candidacy. And then you've got a Democratic candidate, uh, a liberal candidate and a green candidate, a libertarian and a green candidate. Yeah. Cause if you, if you really have a mindset that 
the oil and gas industry, Texas or in, in the world, is going to go away in the next hundred years. It's not. We're not even close to that. Otherwise, we would have saw a, a much different reaction over these last couple of years when they had more than enough opportunity to show us what they can do to get even American cities that still run on coal transferred to something else over the last couple of years. And they didn't. It didn't because the reality is the solar and the wind and all that stuff is very complicated and it has all these extra issues that we're trying to manage and figure out. And we're just not there yet. We're not there yet. <laughs> so let's move on. You hit the nail on the head and, and any one of these, and we can go into the candidates a little bit later, but any one of these candidates has to have that mindset that it cannot be polarized one way or the other. It, the, the two of these resources have to really be able to work in conjunction with both renewables and natural gas. And, you know, when I worked for Salisbury, I was in charge of helping them head up the renewables division that they now run and, and really got to firsthand see how these, you know, how these wind farms are put up, how they're, and it's, it's amazing, you know, how, I think the question that, that people forget to ask is, how are we going to put this infrastructure into place without the use of natural gas resources? I mean, you see, you live in, or lived in Texas and Texans see this uh, flatbeds carrying these giant nacelles. Uh, I mean, you know, that's, that's the nature of it is we're not, they're not just poof popping up overnight in these fields. They're being transported by flatbed trailers. And then at the end of the 10 year lifespan that they have up until this point, until we find a technology that can continue to run them longer than that 10 year lifespan, they're indestructible. They are absolutely indestructible. Yeah. And so the way that we, we did a decommissioning job and you, you take them down, you put them back on flatbed trailers, and you haul them off and you you dump them in a field, Troy. Shit. So you can't, there, and so it's, you know, and, I, and I'm an advocate for renewable energy. I do believe that there is a need to have that balance. Now, what does that look like? Is it 70, 30, 20, 80, 50, 50? And that, that's being extreme. But I do think it's an added value to our our tool of resources. Yeah, I think without the failure, and I'm going to officially call it that in my opinion, the failure of renewables stepping up at a time where it seemed like we needed it the most and we wanted mm -hmm. the most and it's just not working. Uh, it's just not working. Uh, I think without that effort and that history, then we won't see and we won't find out what that is going to create in the future. So maybe 10, 20 years from now, there's something that no one's ever even thought of that we develop, but it was built on the failure of, of what happened in these last couple of years and the years we're going to push forward. Like everyone is an advocate for innovation and becoming more efficient and zero fuel economy. You know, yeah, that makes perfect sense for us, you know, like-minded humans that like, yeah, let's make it as easy and as efficient as possible and get the most out of it. Like that's just logically how we move forward. But absolutely, we're not there yet. We're not even close. And we have a very real problem on our hands, certainly in the Permian Basin and the Railroad Commission. The Railroad Commission is arguably going to have probably the most amount of money out of any industry across the country 
starting to come into that state. It's not going to be renewable. It's not going to be tech. The amount of money when you're talking $100 oil, potentially $120 over the next couple of years because of the need and this massive supply demand problem that we're running into that's becoming pretty obvious, the prices are going to increase because they have to. And the Railroad Commission is going to manage this. The Railroad Commission is going to, you know, organize and kind of push forward all this. Like it's a very, very real thing that's going to happen over these next six years for this next candidate, whether it's the commissioner that's in the seat now or this next one. The next six years is going to be a huge impact on the economy of Texas. Absolutely. And we talk about, you know, Texas is, is the largest producer in the U.S. of oil and gas. And so if we're having to account for these extra costs to be able to operate and produce this oil, it's ultimately going to get passed on to the end user. Yeah. Right and on. it's the same thing with renewables. Um, I, I actually had an interesting conversation with a, a client who, this was last year, he asked, I, this is the first time I'd ever been asked this. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the different carbon capture projects that are going on and what we were doing in terms of carbon capture. And one of the questions that was asked is, well, what is your organization doing to lower your carbon footprint? You know, I mean, what are you guys doing at your office and at your yards to reduce your carbon footprint? I don't, I don't know. I mean, we can, obviously that's the next step, right? Is that it's trickling down and all that is going to do is there's a cost associated with that. Yeah. Puts more pressure on the whole thing. Yeah. A hundred percent. Whoa. All right. Let's get into the official drill down segment. Of okay. The PB podcast with Ms. Kelly Maddox Sutton. The expert, uh, as I will call, in reference to wow, us. Wow, that is. Just me. Yeah, between me and you, you're definitely the expert. Uh, oh my <laughs> you definitely have the uh, much more information on what's going, what's going on, what's coming up. Uh, but I am definitely uh, excited to co-host this event with you on February 17th for the Permian Basin section of the SEPM and the Permian Basin Association for Pipeliners joining together one night, a great dinner, a great, sounds like a great format. There'll be virtual tickets available. There'll be uh, PBE podcasts. We'll be producing the show on that side of it. And then obviously the in-person live stuff of, I think it's what, 300, 250, 300 people can, can attend live. I thought it might be more than that, but I could be wrong. Um, Emily Larrabee is really, you know, she's the one that coordinated this and put this together. Um, it's 320. So pardon me? 320, I think I saw the number. 320 that, up to that sounds, I think in total, between virtual and in person, the capacity was 500. Yeah, so we have 500 virtual tickets for sure, just, just in virtual alone. And then I thought I saw in an email, 320 is like the capacity maybe for the whole thing. So you got to, you know, anyway, I think 320 total people in person. The email I saw and, and referencing off memory. Should we just fact check this real quick? I got an email. Maybe, saying, yes. Yeah, okay. I think we should because this is not where I'm an expert. <laughs> All right. We are pulling it up officially. Email Kelly and Emily and Norm. Yes. And Norm. Uh, I thought that was the email where he answered all those questions. It's not. Let's keep going. Da, 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 da. 
There we go. There we go. Okay. 320 max. But we are assigning ticketed seats for 250 plus room for candidates, organizational members, potential media. So it's 250 tickets for in person. And we can do up to 500 virtual uh, tickets. So that's, yeah, it's pretty good. 750 people. That's a good amount of, of seats. Yep. Uh, yeah, it would be at the Bush Convention Center. I don't know if you've been there yet or not, but it, the facility itself is huge. It can hold an incredible amount of people. Yeah. It's yeah. the biggest city in Midland. <laughs> Right. Yeah, no, it's badass. It's really nice. And the whole downtown is is really cool. You know, when I left in 2019, that was all kind of under construction. And the vision was all there, right? With these animated, like, this is what it's going to be or what it might look like and, and whatnot. But uh, now that going back and doing a show, we did a show in September for uh, Geologic uh, Society there. It was awesome. You know, you left the convention, you had plenty of options for food and a place to drink and just catch up with people. And you know, downtown Midland's a, a cool place to hang out when the weather's good. It is. It's great. It's, you know, we always wanted something like that where we could get off work and go walk around downtown and pretend we were in Houston or Denver or wherever. So it's nice to kind of have something somewhat like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. yeah, that convention center. Um, and so, you know, Emily really put this together. She's kind of, I'll call her the glue for our organization that, that holds us together. And she had brought this to our attention. And when when trying to decide who was going to be hosting this, um, you know, we kind of ran into this issue of who's a non-biased opinion within our organization. So I actually, at the end of last year, left uh, a, my for-profit organization and went to go work for a nonprofit full-time so now I'm kind of out of this for-profit world. And so that's why it made sense for, for me to step in and, and host this as an unbiased opinion, if you will. Right on. Okay. So that makes sense. So where are you now full-time? So I work for, in uh, 2017, I was in Mentone and I see this flyer that says, you know, Anadarko Petroleum Clay Shoot. And I'm like, okay, I... I need to be there. And so we go. And when I was there and you've been, I'm sure to several clay shoots in West Texas and it's, you know, we're handing out guns left and right. Um, instead it was a little different, uh, 10 year old boy got on stage after our safety meeting and told a story about how he had battled cancer, um, and how he had beat it and the challenges that he went through and how this organization sky high for kids, a team of seven women have come in and, and helped his family relocate and, you know, stand by their side through his battle. And fortunately he was able to come out on the other end. And so, wow, this is not what I was expecting. And Sky I ended high, up meeting yeah. Brittany, Brittany Abier at the time. And um, it was like blown away, you know, uh, she's like, yeah, I, I own this nonprofit. I work in oil and gas and I just started this and this is what we do and we're saving lives. Uh, I was amazed. I was like, I want to be one friends with these people. And, and two, I want to get behind this mission. So in 2017, I started volunteering and serving on committees with Sky High for Kids. And then as it grew, I really became 
you know, part of that family with them. Um, you know, Salisbury was a huge supporter, which was great. And then I traveled to Houston and San Antonio with them. And at the end of last year, Brittany and I were sitting down and she said, Hey, you know, I'm trying to, to grow this team. Will you come work for me? And I don't, I don't know. I was, you know, a little nervous about what it would look like, but we sat down and mapped it out and she said, I, I need your help to, to grow wow. this in the Permian and San Antonio and Oklahoma. And so I said, yeah, let's do it. You know, I, I went back to my husband and without even a hesitation, he said, go do this. This is something you're so passionate about. And it, it's been amazing. We're 90% back by the oil and gas industry. So I've still been able to work with all of these companies, you know, Howard em Energy, cool. Summit Midstream Partners, the Salisbury's, the Strikes, all of these companies that I've worked for and with for years. Um, so, yeah, so Sky High's mission as a 501c3 is to bring the community together to provide comfort, fund research, and ultimately save lives of those battling pediatric cancer. Wow. Right on. Yeah, it's amazing. We're in $40 million worth of pledge commitments with both St. Jude and Texas Children's Hospital that are help moving that needle and, and closing the gap on pediatric cancer. Wow. Right on. Appreciate the So uh, for the all effort. intents and purposes, when we looked at it, you know, the room kind of drew silent. They said, well, who's going to host this? And everybody kind of looked at me and I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Let's go. Let's go. Right on. Yeah. The PBS SEPM reached out and I don't know. I, yeah. I, I do a nonprofit research institute just for the rocks right we listen to the story that the rocks are telling that's what we do and then we we give that to veterans and to children because we think it's you know brain development one you know really understanding nature how it's here the story of nature to a, ch a child fuels their curiosity and i think could be a great foundation for for brain development and and so we're we're pushing that out and then for veterans mental health uh as they you get a map and you get to start like create your own mission and go look for this mineral or go look for this commodity like just you know teach them the basics of geology so that's a my nonprofit push uh with magma Kim. but i also i do have an oil and gas operating company and i run a little lease out of texas and uh okay. and so that I'm, I'm not to create a bias but certainly to to have experience with the form the filling out of all the paperwork and the communication with the railroad commission on a monthly basis and you know what that, that relationship is i think is a pretty unique perspective and then just a, a a technical geologist as well degreed and and thinking about you know energy and how we electrify a state or a country and how and how important it is that the commissioner is going to have a, a pretty clear or at least a, a somewhat of a foundation to, to think about, you know, how, hold on, how much are we going to really invest in renewables or in, in getting away from oil and gas or back into oil and gas, nuclear, you know, all these different options to sustain good energy and to create great jobs for the state and to be a part of that is going to be very, very interesting and very important because if, it's anything like I think most countries that are investing a ton of money into the transition and it's not ready for the transition. I think we're losing a lot of value there. We're losing a lot of money. We're wasting people's time. You know, it's just not there yet. And so I would like to see how they answer those types of questions, right? Like that's the the event basics is to kind of get behind the commit the commissioner 
the candidates, right? Get an idea of what they're thinking and what, what their concerns are. So what do you think about the event? So I think, you know, you kind of touched on all the different points that, that we're going to hear when we look at this panel discussion is, is right. We're going to hear ESG and, and emission reduction. I think that's going to be a very big focal point. Um, we're going to talk about, uh, I think the biggest point is going to be the storm URI and the Texas freeze and is the grid, are we ready for the next wave of, you know, below freezing temperatures here in, in Texas and in North Texas, you know, are we prepared for that? And the answer, you know, that, that Wayne Christian can provide in terms of what they've done. And, and so I think it'll be really interesting to hear from, you know, I sat and listened to the Democratic candidate, um, Luke Wofford, and he talked about how, what his position is, right? And okay, we're we're not there. Our our state is not ready for the next wave of these. Um, what did they call it? The Arctic temperatures that that came through and polar vortex. Um, the polar vortex. Yes, yeah, thank you. Um, and and we haven't done what we need to do. But then you start listening to to some of these Republican candidates and their stance on it. And they're they're very very similar, and so I think that's really going to be one of the biggest focus points is what's been done and and what is saying has been done in terms of winterization and preparing the grid. Is that factual? Um, you know, mm. are we really holding these companies to you know are are we really holding them responsible and, and and making sure that they're following through, or are we giving them some sort of wiggle room on these regulations? So I think that's going to be one of the biggest things that we're going to, to see and hear about. Wow. So the Railroad Commission has some kind of uh, regulatory decision making when it comes to the equipment the electric companies are using? Absolutely. Well, so any regulations, right? So if you're, I mean, we'll put it like this, if you're putting in a power plant, you've got to have it up to, you know, a certain standard to be able to withstand any significant weather that you're going to see and, and granted we live and we talked about this earlier we live in texas we don't see that so we just don't prepare for it versus you know if you look at putting a plant in north dakota there's and even pipelines in north dakota right they sit up on these these large stilts um and and basically you know they're they're weatherized is the term yeah. um and are we doing that? And while we have the regulations in place, and that's something that's been said quite a bit is, yes, we have these regulations in place. Yes, we're requiring operators to do that and midstream companies to do that. But what we're finding out is there's a lot of wiggle room there that these operators and these midstream companies have. And so how much of this is truly being, are, are they truly you know, doing what they're saying they're doing? And, and I think that's the question that's not only being brought up by the Democratic candidate, but also by the Republican candidates, which is interesting. Yeah, no, that's, that's, you know, there's in geology or in science, there's kind of a similar thing going on where you have these two totally polar things or entities. And then eventually there's something, some kind of common ground and there's some kind of like portal between those anomalies or between those entities that says, you know, this, this needs to be worked out. You know, the science is there. There needs to be a solution for we're having the same problem. You're having the same problem, right? Let's work together. And it brings integration. It brings innovation. And it it's kind of that birthing ground, birthing ground of that relationship. And 
it sounds like that could be what this is for for the Republicans yeah. and Democrats to, to come together and go, what the heck? What are we doing with this? I think the third thing that that we're likely to hear about are the continued earthquakes that we're having out here and you know and how is saltwater injection we know that that's what's causing this we and you as a geologist know that that's what's causing these faults uh, beneath us and so what are we doing to mitigate that issue Woo, that one's a good one that one's a really really it is good i'll be interesting i'm sure you know a lot more about it um yeah. You know, we, we feel it and experience it. And so this is something that, that it doesn't matter what side you fall on in terms of, you know, your, your political preference. This is okay. We all lost power, right? I, I can't name more than a handful of people that didn't lose power last year. We all went through that. We're in the Permian basin. We're all experiencing these earthquakes randomly throughout, you know, you got any like vivid memories of like the walls shaking and the very first one um, that we ever experienced, I was sitting right here, I was working and all of a sudden the, we got a cat and a dog and they're sitting in here and they jump up and run out the room. And then it was boom, you know, and the walls just shake and it's wild how pets can kind of tell before it even happens. Isn't that crazy? But yeah, we get them. Um, I mean, just a couple months ago, we got two back-to-back big ones. Wow. Yeah, so, I come come from California. I've been in earthquakes. I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with getting it. in the kung fu stance and kind of watching the ground roll. And you're just like, I mean, it is bizarre, you know, what And happened. it's not something that you can, you know, we can, we know that here in two days, it's going to drop to seven degrees. So, right, we're preparing for that. We're you know, doing all of the maintenance around our home to make sure that we're safe. This is something completely out of our control. It's, you know, it's very well, you bring random. Up, you bring up something interesting, and, and we don't, I don't know if we'll have this in the show or not, but I want your personal opinion. Okay. The earthquakes will not stop if we continue to produce the high grade reservoirs of the Permian Basin and specifically this big trend that goes from about Culberson through Wink and, and Winkler County goes right in through Ector, goes right through Midland out to Stanton and, and, all, and Big Spring. That's a big zone of interest and there's a lot, a lot of oil that comes out of that ground and there's a lot of drilling future. There's a lot of economics, a lot of investments that have gone into making that a play, securing it with their land and their acreage and their leasing. I mean, this is years and years of development for an operator to figure out, okay, here's where we can stand and make a lot of money. We just got to get rid of this, this brine problem. There's a lot of water that comes with the oil production out of the, out of the right. ground. So uh, the, the easiest and cheapest fix was to just take it deeper. And the deeper you go and the more volume of, fluid you add to the subsurface, the deep, you increase pore pressure, which decreases effective stress on faulting, and it makes things move. Simple as that. It's very well studied and well understood since the 50s when the guys came out with that whole concept of how that works. Uh, so my question to you as a person, as a professional living in Midland, Texas, are you suggesting 
that the operators who have already been hit with negative $35 oil, who've already been hit with, you know, the cyclicity of the last 10, 20 years, the unknown of the unconventionals, billions of dollars invested in what they're doing and the future of what they're doing, that they now have to invest even more and take even a bigger bite out of their profits to manage this situation so the earthquakes stop? Or what are you suggesting the solution is? So this is a very interesting question because, you know, it, it, it's a twofold answer. Uh, you know, my, my husband still works in oil and gas, you know, I mean, oil, we are still the value of our home is dependent on oil and gas. Like we want to see any, we want to see this industry thrive and do well. Um, even if, if we were both removed from it, I think we would both still, you know, as, as, two people that have been part of this industry and have watched it grow and evolve and have met the people in this industry. We know this industry has to thrive and we want it to thrive. But then you look at, okay, we're, we're taking out earthquake insurance on our home and it, it's something that directly affects us, you know, and, and we see it all the time. And so it's, it's this twofold of, you know, where, where does it fall? Um, and, I don't have an answer in terms of what should be done. So I, I know that there's a solution. It, it goes back to how we talked about, you know, regulating our own as, as operators or as construction companies, regulating our own carbon footprint. It's the same with this, right? This is going to be an added cost that is then going to be trickled down to the end user. Right. That's right. Does that make That's sense? Right. Oh, big time. Big time. I, it's big time. I've been thinking about this for a long time. Uh, the, the issue of, you know, basically having a thriving community it, it, it built right on the top of a world-class reservoir. And we're going underneath the community with horizontals and we, we go all around it. I mean, there's, <clears throat> there's a big concern. And right now there's, there's not an obvious solution. You talked about, you know, re recycling frack water. That's, that's possible because it's, it's a created fluid going in and it comes out and there's some solids that come out with it. Produced water is very, very different. It's very, it's filled with metals and halogens and all these things that make it very challenging to recycle and reuse efficiently. Mm -hmm. And you're, the, the biggest problem I think is that it's going to take time to build the facilities. It's going to take the, you know, all that stuff that we don't really have, right? You don't really have that, especially as an operator, when the prices come back, you're supposed to be ready to go. You're supposed to be, you know, you're preparing for that economically and your investors are and your shareholders are. And the concerns of all that tied on top of that with the, the people living there, that's a major, major uh, discussion and something that's going to be seriously uh, watched. It is. And I, I do think it will get brought up. Um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's inevitable. You know, it, it's something that our community is facing. And I think it's something that a lot of people don't understand and want to understand and want to have answers, you know, Hey, is this something that, that my family needs to be concerned about? I don't know what the solution is. And I think a lot of these operators don't know what the solution is. They're facing all of these other, okay, we're just kind of coming out of this, you know, this COVID 
negative oil and we're starting to see an uptick in, in oil prices and we're starting to kind of see a backlog, a, a healthy backlog. And there's all of these other things that we're trying to focus on too, like the carbon emissions and CO2 capture. And then this on top of that, it's, it's just kind of stacking. It, it's a lot to put on an, a company right yeah. now. There's literally not enough people. There's not enough workers to figure all this out all at one time. I think the regulatory body and the operators are trying to come up with like that line of pushing the envelope. Where is that line? What is it? What does it look like? You know, the current volumes of disposal are obviously creating this trajectory that, you know, the a way that we don't want to go. Okay, so is it half of that? And and it's okay if it, it, it will that naturally be all right to put away right. or is it and what's that split look like and that's yeah. something that the Texas Railroad Commission regulates and is going to have to they're going to have to provide some sort of of solution moving forward in terms I mean you can't just say that okay we haven't we haven't noticed it we haven't looked into it I mean right. it, it's got to be something that's been discussed and and that we're you know seeing a plan of action moving forward in order to mitigate this in the future yep and you know the Texas Road Commission uh, has done a, an interesting thing where you know obviously the production from all operators pay the railroad uh, railroad commission uh, from their production revenues they all get a RRC gets a percent of all the oil that gets out pulled out of the ground cool. What are you doing with all that money, by the way? Right? Like, what are you actually doing? Uh, well, they teamed up and they worked tightly with UT Austin and the geology department there, the Bureau of Economic Geologists that are, you know, been around forever. They study a lot of the processes that made the reservoir. And now I think you're starting to see in the department, a lot more technical work going into this earthquake thing, seismology stations going around. They're listening a lot more, uh, and they're trying to to work into that. So I think the Railroad Commission, in in a history, historical sense, kind of has always been like they have no real technical, like they don't understand, you know, what's really going on. They're just, you know, bureaucrats sitting around creating rules and ways to make money off the industry. But I think that's not true. Uh, certainly today, as some of that profit and some of that money clearly is going to the universities, the universities are filled with PhDs and students that are trying to make a difference, trying to make an impact with what they do and that's all coming together. And so there is a technical uh, insight that's inside of the railroad commission that can help the operators, right? And the operators are doing their thing from a different standpoint. Look, I'm trying to make as much money as possible, keep the shares high, uh, the regulatory body, you know, the working with that and that tension between operator and regulatory, you know, that's all coming to a head right now. And if, if the solution is, all right, we got to stop and create you know, this solution, this is it. Let's build these facilities. Let's do this. You know, where are you going to hire all those people? And, you know, right, this is, it's, it's a very complicated and uh, very detailed problem for sure. No, but I think it brings up a really good segue into when you look at these candidates and, and, you know, I know we talked about the libertarian and the green candidates. It's so important that these candidates, in my personal opinion, have some sort of a background in this industry and, and are solution oriented and solution focused and, and aren't just coming in and saying, well, hey, this is pissing me off that you guys are causing all these earthquakes and, you know, X, Y, Z, I was frozen out of my home to be able to, to say, hey, yes. Yeah, I know this is a problem, but I've also worked in this industry for, you know, 20 plus years or whatever. And here's what I think the solution is or should be. 
So the importance of these candidates having a background in oil and gas, I know Jim Wright, who's a current commissioner, um, his background is in oil and gas. And I, I believe Christy Craddock also has, I know she's got a lot of stakes in oil and gas as well. Um, Wayne Christian, uh, to be honest, I'm not 100% sure if he, what his experience in oil and gas is outside of his term on the Railroad Commission. I know he has a very political background, but a lot of these candidates, you know, Sarah Stovner, um, God, Dwayne Tipton, they all are a part of this industry and have been. And so I think that's such an important, you know, aspect to look at when you're considering who should be regulating natural resources yeah somebody that that knows and and when you're looking at somebody who can truly solve these problems is it somebody who you know has a, a political background and has served on several campaigns or what have you or is it somebody who says hey this is an industry that i'm passionate about yeah. this is an industry that i've you know been a part of yeah. and this is an industry that i understand and i can help come up with solutions yeah, Tom Slocum, another candidate that yeah. uh, he, he definitely was boots on the ground and has experience of working out in the field and plugging wells and abandoning abandoned wells and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Sarah, all those candidates that are out there and, and really, uh, you know, putting out their story of, of kind of what they want to focus on, how they want to fix this thing, how they want to get in that position and just take the bull by the horns and, and really start, you know, making an impact. I'm excited to meet them. I'm excited to hear you know, how they go about that. What, uh, what do you think? So we talked about the event. It's February 17th at the Bush Center. It starts, uh, I think the virtual thing will start around 6, 6.15, the in-person. Uh-huh. That's that where you're the expert. I just, I do what Emily tells me. I show up where I'm supposed to. She puts it on my calendar. Yeah, we definitely talked about, you know, going live um, at six o'clock, people are coming in, people are getting their seats, but that could be a, a time for me and you to discuss, you know, just on camera with the people virtually, just welcoming them in, talking about how the event's going to go, you know, doing a simple introduction, you know, for the virtual seats and, and it probably be projected up on the wall too, for the people in attendance to know what to expect with the event. And then uh, I guess 630, it really kicks off, right? Yeah, and Emily, I know, has been procuring questions from the community. Um, she's opened up the forum to be able to ask questions from, you know, our, I think it, it's opened up to just about everybody in Texas to be able to submit some sort of question. Um, we'll have to find where that is located because I do think it would be great to be able to post that so people can contribute to that. But, and then they'll pull some of the more common questions um, that we can sit and discuss with these candidates. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about the idea of uh, creating a voting. Uh, there's some kind of voting software that seemed really efficient and easy that the one of the board members was talking about. And we'll throw that out. And then it's like a QR code. So you scan it on the table, just like a digital menu at a restaurant. You scan it, it pulls it up and it and then you rate right there in live in How person it is. yeah what you think well, you know, what do you want to hear what's your top so the five? guest at the debate can do that while they're there yeah okay so you know more about this than i do yeah that's, that, that's very cool right and then bang so, so in live time you can sit and decide this is and that'll be interesting too to segue through different discussions whoa you kind of putting the pressure on us right now, in my opinion, what you just said, because we're kind of teeing up 
the audience in general that night, you know, everyone's going to come in with like, this is what's so important to me. You know, this is what I want to know. This is what I'm thinking. But if we do our job correctly and we start introducing some of these overarching topics that everyone's kind of trying to point out and we, we explain them well and set that up well, now that person sitting there for that one specific thing is really critically you know, listening for the first time and, and, and then sees that list and goes, you know what? Yeah. I want to know more about that. How are you going to protect us during the freeze or, you know, whatever else triggers them? Uh, we could, yeah. So me and you can get together and and talk about how we're going to introduce the the beginning of the show and kind of these concepts and, and the, the voting and stuff like that. That could be a fun thing for us to do. Quick question, side note, do you feel like this is, uh, you know, very kind of, like uh like uh professional and and kind of dry and you just kind of present it or are we gonna like drop some permian basin jokes <laughs> like what do we do? i think i'm a funny person like <laughs> my husband is like don't don't make jokes but i think i'm funny i think i'm really funny so yeah i would i would and actually i was with a group of friends this weekend um that live out here and i was telling them about it and they were we're asking, you know, was there going to be alcohol there? Yep. Actually, I would assume so. My assumption would be yes. Yep. And if not, I would make a suggestion that we include alcohol. <laughs> I'll um, be bringing a van out back. <laughs> That's open bar. For, perfect. Uh, <laughs> perfect. Okay. So for the, the guest, if you aren't able to cure any alcoholic beverages while you're there, Troy will have a van in the back. <laughs> 21 and up only it will be regulated. Right. <laughs> Perfect. I'm very uh, excited. I'm no, a- I think, it, I think it will be, um, you know, obviously there's, there's a line of professionality that we've got to adhere to. Um, you know, we're serving the community, this, this information, and, and this is something that needs to be done so that we can properly educate and inform our community on these candidates so that they can make the most educated and informed decision when casting their va- ballot in the primary on March 1st or in the election on November 8th. Um, but I, I, I like to have a good time. I think we can crack a couple jokes, Troy. I agree. I totally agree with that. Uh, if, if we really want to get like cool about it, we can have one of the projections that's not on camera as a prompter and it can keep us focused on like topic to topic, but it can also just scroll up that Permian joke that we want to drop. And uh, anyway, oh, can, so we have to come up with this joke ahead of time is what you're saying. I would think doing, yeah, some pre jokes on some friends and colleagues, see how they like it would probably be best. Uh, but shooting from the hip, I'm totally cool with that too. Totally. Yeah. I'm, I'm more of a fly by the seat of my pants kind of person. But if you're a premeditated joker, then I would say more power to you. Get out some pen and paper tonight. You know, you've yeah. got two weeks. What is today? Today's February 1st. So you have 14 17 days. days. So yeah, it's February 17th, right? Oh, it's the 17th. Yeah. It's a Tuesday. Oh, no, no, It's a Thursday. It's a Thursday. Is it a Thursday? Yep. I fly out on Tuesday. Show's on Thursday. February 17th. Yep. Yep. 17 days. Now, so to register for this event, I know we have it online on the Permian Basin. Uh, I believe it's just permianbasinap.org is our website. Are you guys also? PBS SCPM has the link. Uh, so everything that I've posted or talked about just has that one. Uh, pbpodcast.com can certainly 
throw it up there as uh, a registration link for sure. Um, yeah, we'll just kind of team up, cross promote, ask uh, operators and the regulatory body themselves to get out there and start uh, sharing the link and getting people involved in this event. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited. And, you know, I'll, I'll be interested to see if both our Green and Libertarian candidates show. I don't know if we have confirmation on both of those two yet, but I, I would love to hear from them. And I am interested to hear more from Luke Warford on the Democratic side. Um, you know, I've listened to what he has to say. And, and I do think it's interesting how it almost kind of mirrors a little bit of what the Republican candidates are saying. Now, historically, we have not had a Democrat in one of these commission seats in probably 30 years. Is that um, right? It, it is. It's right. Um, believe it or not, the first commissioner was a Democrat, but that was in 1880. You know, things were very different. And But no, it's been at least 30 years. I believe since we've had any Democrat in that seat. Now in 2020, we came a little bit closer to kind of closing that Delta. Um, I forget the the lady's name that was running against Jim Wright, but I believe there was a 9% difference. Um, and so I think that the Democrat Luke Warford has, I, I mean, he's got an uphill battle, right? Sure. He's, he's trying to convince a room full of for all intents and purposes, Republicans, that that he can make a difference and he can make a change that, you know, is going to benefit our community and our industry. Yeah. Um, and even if he is elected, he's going to be the only Democrat out right. of, you know, he's going to be the minority on that in that seat position. So it will be interesting. You know, I'm, I'm certainly interested to hear his position. Um I, I believe he has a background in oil and gas. I think he was an oil and gas consul, and I don't know exactly to what extent that was. Yeah. Um, but then the, the sorry, I was go just going to throw it out there. It's just an interesting time right now. I feel like in politics that like as as polar as it feels sometimes that the red versus the blue team and all that stuff that goes on there, uh, it feels that way. But I. I also am talking to people like in my personal circle, obviously with businesses and, and just progressing. And I feel like they're, they're, the lines are being blurred uh, almost more than ever too. And, and absolutely. so it's a, that's intriguing. It's really intriguing. Which is why I, I am so excited because it has been this polar, you know, you're either on one side of the pendulum or you're on the other and there right. is no blending. But, you know, listening to Luke, he talks about, how he understands that it's not all or none, that there's got to be some give and take. And we've got to, you know, the grid right now, I believe it operates 85, 15, where only 15% of that is renewable. Um, and, and that, you know, what that split looks like, but he understands it can't be an all or none situation, which is refreshing to hear. So, so I think you're right. I think you're starting to see a blend in that, People aren't trying to just pick sides. They're really trying to say, hey, we just want a solution. Yeah. What the hell's right? I don't care what side anymore. Like, hey, no, what's the solution? Yeah. I think uh, yeah. I mean, we were we were frozen for 72 hours and we weren't on the revolving, whatever the revolving grid was. It was not our home. Whoa. We lost power. And then that was it for 72 hours. Whoa. Man. And yeah. I, uh, I was traveling through and uh, it's actually when I started the, the company and went out to Somerset, the the area of San Antonio where I have this lease and, and it was me and my dad. We drove in on the frozen tundra, got stuck on I-10 for 
took us, uh, I don't remember what it was, something ridiculous, 12 hours to get from Midland to San Antonio. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, we took off in the morning and thought we were going to go south. So I'm like, hey, we'll get out of it. You know, it'll stay north. And no, we were stuck until like one in the morning. We only made it to uh, the town right before that. that uh, what's it called? The town before uh, San Antonio that everybody stops in. It's where Verde Burning. It's where Cooper's is. Cooper's Barbecue. Oh, Lano. Junction. 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 Like Cooper's was in Lano. I don't know. I could. There's uh, there's there's a bunch of them. I guess. Uh, okay. It doesn't help. So you're in junction, yeah. Uh, it was close, and we we just said, yeah, let's get a hotel here. Let's stop. And then mm -hmm. the only reason we had power and I was able to stay functioning during two weeks of basically being frozen in was we were right next to the Air Force Base in San Antonio. And they they were a priority, obviously. And and so that little area we were in was like one of the only areas that had power. And you couldn't even go out because the traffic, everyone that was around that had no power was in that part. Trying Like Burger King was like 50 cars lined. Like it was yeah. bananas. It, it was wild. I mean, it was... And our, our whole street lost power um, and we sit on the golf course. Well, I guess the golf course has like a backup reserve of power. Nice. So we'd be driving around, you know, trying to kind of see what the rest of the neighborhood was enduring. And you'd see these little, you know, the little rest stops on the the little whatever they call them on the golf course where you stop and you get a bathroom break and yeah. you get a cup of water, some snacks. And all those are lit up and powered and we're like what the hell um, it it was tough and you know to pile that we had a neighbor that had a generator and he was powering his whole house had all the lights on and um didn't share any of the wealth but it, it was you know I, it, it's not something that we want to go through again certainly and when you look at it you know i know that the texas railroad commission has been been forthfront and saying we've made the changes we're prepared we're doing what we need to do we're weatherizing we are, are making the changes so that we don't run into this issue again well then you look at the last time that the temperatures dropped below 25 degrees in west texas and production dropped 20 percent and so are we ready for that you know, it's a question we're asking right now when the forecast for wednesday and thursday is seven to 10 degrees Whoa. so are we ready we don't know and it goes back to you know what we talked about earlier is we've got to be we can't just say that we're we're doing these things you know i mean there, there's no rhyme or reason in uh, i'm going to go back to what we were talking about earlier with the, the faults and the earthquakes you know just to sit here and talk about it and to act like we're prepared and saying we're doing things to be prepared is, is all great but then when it actually happens you know, what are our commissioners doing then and, and what's being done then? If you look at, you know, Wayne Christian says, well, yeah, I was out of power too. So it, you would think that they would want to make a change, but but whether or not we're going to see that, I think it'll only time will tell and we won't know until we know and we're, we don't have power, unfortunately. Wow. Shoot. Wow. Well, that's going to get interesting. This is going to get very is. interesting. Gosh, I mean, we really have been, people here, uh, we have been through some tests and trials of our marriages, 
with COVID and being locked in together and then you can freeze and you're locked in and you know freezing temperatures and it's it's been fun it's been i think if you can make it through some of these things this is what my husband and i joke we can make it through all these things you know uh we'll, we'll be okay wow that's a great perspective it's a great attitude to have i appreciate that uh you give me excitement talking about that wow right on yeah you said it well you said you're honored to co-host and be a part of this event and be asked to be a part of this event because you know the voice of the permian basin uh is so important in uh in hearing them and and being there for them through this trialing time after all we've been through with COVID and the freeze just that alone plus you stack up the earthquakes in the local area around the permian where most of the people live in midland odessa and and you know these are very real real concerns these are very real people and it's an amazing community there. We both know that and uh, have lived there and li and you still do. So, you know, I'm a huge advocate for that, for giving this uh, platform its best uh, opportunity to express their concerns and, and how are we going to manage this? How are we going to integrate and get together and, and become a solution? How is this going to happen? And uh, I think that's going to show an amazing reflection of the people and the culture of Midland and the area and the Permian, uh, you know, this is going to be a lot of fun to be a part of and taking it very seriously. Yeah, I, I think that we've got a, a handful of, of very, very great candidates, both with experience in oil and gas and experience in, you know, being in, in West Texas. I know a handful of them have been out here in the Permian. So to have those people who, who are the voices of our community and of our industry and stewards of our industry, yeah, I think that's so important. And I'm, I'm very excited to hear what they're going to discuss. Yeah, me too. And I bet it's going to get gonna change, you know. Right. And it's probably going to get dicey. But as co-hosts, we're going to have to kind of, you know, the we're dodging bullets. We're, you know, making sure everything runs smoothly. We're like we're like the security system, if you will, <laughs> for the event. Yeah. This thing can't turn into a riot. You know what I mean? No, no. We have to be there to to mitigate anything from, you know, turning yeah. into a, a disaster, which it won't. We're not we're not anticipating that. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it is emotional. It is, you know, a very real thing going on here. And there is going to be, you know, opportunity for things to kind of get maybe out of control. But I'm, I'm confident in your ability and you're at you as a communicator and uh, based on your past and, and this podcast alone, I think we're going to have a lot of fun with this. I think we're going to deliver a lot of great information. And, uh, and at the end of the day, I think we're going to get the right commissioner in place uh, at least one of the two of the three seats, you know, it's going to be a, you know, the right one and we're going to move forward. We're going to support that and, and we're going to continue to push this great community forward and this great commodity forward. The oil and gas industry is vital to the success of the state. It's vital to a success as, as uh, people moving forward uh, to protect and, and to keep revenues high and, and to keep it all going. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Yeah, absolutely. What you got? Who do you got your your vote on? What are your thoughts here? Oh man! Have you done any research on these candidates? I mean, like, where where do you think you're gonna fall? What are, what are your thoughts? Got me in the hot seat. Um, you know, I'm I'm excited that the the primary or whatever is happening now. March, right? March is kind of we get we get a more a more realistic idea of who's really gonna make it to November. Uh, mm -hmm. So once that's narrowed down, that gives me plenty of time to uh, to actually reach out and maybe do podcasts with each of them 
and uh, really get behind their ears and and really get to to know them. But as it sits, I I don't have an answer. I I just honestly can say I don't know if it's to to reelect or elect new. Um, yeah, I, I don't. What about you? You know, I don't. Uh, I'm interested to hear from the candidates first, right? Um, I think I, I know some of the candidates. You know, I've met them and had discussions with them, and I've listened to to different publications that they've done and done some research. The one that I'm most interested to hear from, I will say, is Marvin Summers, because I really don't know much about the guy. You're talking about Sarge. Sarge? Is that, is, is that what they call him? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I know that he's got, he, he's one of the older can, oldest candidates, correct? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And he's got, I mean, 30 plus years experience in oil and gas. Yep. Right? Yep. And he, it... he's a veteran. A veteran. Yeah. Okay. Now, I've seen his post, the the vibe I get from him. You know, I get vibes from all these people. I'm not saying this is what they are, or how they represent it, but from it's Sarge is how he goes by, at least on LinkedIn. Uh, and, uh, right. and, you know, he's, he's a, he's a listener. He's, he's a listener both to the employees, the 800 plus employees of the railroad commission and what their concerns are and what they see is things that can change or things that can make an impact. And then also the people he's, he's traveling around and, he really spends time. That's what he put, puts out in his posts and his commentary is, you know, he really takes time and, and he's a listener to the people um, and uh, and then goes from there. I, I think that's the that's the vibe I get from from him. I think that's the one that I'm, I'm most interested in and solely for the fact that I just I, I haven't been able to to really learn much about him. So I, I'm, you know, especially as a veteran to, you know, the United States and to the oil and gas industry, I'm very, very interested to hear uh, a little bit more about him and his dance. So that's the one I'm most excited about. Um, and and yeah, I would love it if one of the Libertarian or the Green candidates would show up. Yep. Right on, Kelly. Well, thank you so much for joining the show, taking the time. Uh, Absolutely. I'm definitely looking forward to meeting you in person. I'm excited about yeah, that. Yeah, you're going to come down to Midland. Yes, I'll be there uh, a couple of days early. So we, we do a lunch or a little happy hour, maybe. Uh, Let's we could... do it. We'll get it on the calendar. Thank you so much for having me. I, I do appreciate it. And I would love to, um, if you come in town that week, I'll be here. So you just reach out and let me know and would love to get together and, and maybe bring some people together for, I mean, it'd be great to hear from the community in terms of things that they want to hear about and, and their opinions as we move into this. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I'll be working with the organizers and I'm sure you will too. So we'll, we'll be in communication. I'll see you soon. All right. Well, safe travels and I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks. All right. See you, Kelly. Bye.